Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making the Grade for the week ending Friday, November 23rd, 2018. My name is Adam. I am your host, and since this is the first episode of Making the Grade, allow me to explain exactly what this is. Longtime fans of The Rundown may remember back in the day when I would write an article for QuestAndNetwork.com called Making the Grade, reviewing WWE pay-per-view offerings and NXT TakeOver events. I stopped doing that after a while due to the amount of time it would take to actually write everything up after the event was over, after 11 p.m. on a Sunday, typically. A discussion recently came up in the host thread about doing an NXT recap show, since NXT doesn't get a lot of coverage on the rundown itself, since they typically record on Wednesday nights. I offered to take control of that show, as NXT is the only WWE brand at this moment that I find consistently enjoyable, and then the thought occurred to me that, why not just bring back Making the Grade, but as an audio offering, and instead of focusing on just pay-per-view events, make it a weekly show reviewing whatever WWE had to offer that week. I originally considered doing the standard Sunday-to-Saturday calendar, but realized that TakeOver would make that difficult, so for this program, the WWE week starts on Saturday and ends on Friday. Now, the plan for this show is to drop every Saturday or Sunday in your rundown feed, as per usual. Uh, I picked quite the week to start this new endeavor, I must say, so let's jump right in on Saturday, November 17th with NXT TakeOver War Games 2. Uh, An absolutely fantastic opening recap build package opens the show. Sometimes I ask myself how it's possible that NXT is so much better at compelling storytelling than the main roster, and then I remember, oh yeah, Vince McMahon. Uh, I am very happy to hear Mauro Ronaldo back behind the mic for this event. He has been missed over the past few weeks on NXT TV. Uh, Matt Riddle interrupts the proceedings unexpectedly, of course. I approve of whoever decided the uh, logo over his cock, uh, the word bro, but designed after the NXT logo. It was a good look. Jason has commented about how wrestlers without knee pads creep him out because they just look like they're fighting without pants. Riddle wrestling without knee pads or boots makes this so much worse. Riddle says he's supposed to face Ono on Wednesday, but he wants to do it today and promises to knock him out in both rings. I mean, the show on Wednesday was already taped before they went live with TakeOver tonight, so... Anyway, Ono appears and accepts the challenge, and our surprise first match is on. Uh, Riddle pins Ono in about six seconds from bell to bell. Uh, Grade B. Uh, A good hot opening segment. The crowd fucking loves Matt Riddle, and this did exactly what it was supposed to do. Riddle promised to knock Ono out in both rings, but only did it one before leaving. Oh well. Now to our proper opener, or so we are told, Kyrie Sane versus Shayna Baszler, two out of three falls. Uh, I'm going to pick Baszler here, two falls to one. Now, I've said it since the first Mae Young Classic, and I've heard a number of other people say it as well. I just don't get Kyrie Sane. Not as a wrestler, mind you. She's a fine in-ring performer. I just... I don't get the gimmick. Why is she a pirate? What does that have to do with anything? Now, Baszler didn't impress me at first, but I think she's made incredible progress and definitely deserves to be champion at this point. Uh, Sane goes on offense quickly, taking Baszler by surprise, but Duke and Shafir show up to help Baszler quickly go up one to nothing by taking out Sane behind the referee's back and leaving her as easy pickings for Baszler and the Kirafuda clutch. They do a lot of teasing that Baszler will sweep with her putting Sane in a number of quite painful-looking submission holds. Then they spend a couple of minutes exchanging strikes, which does not look good at all, and makes Sane look a bit foolish, honestly. However, this is followed by Sane countering a vertical suplex on the apron into a DDT, which looked 
amazing. She then drops a diving elbow on all three horsewomen outside, and an insane elbow in the ring evens the score at one fall apiece. Duke and Shafir go after Sane again, which brings out Dakota Kai by herself to try and take them out. When this unsurprisingly fails, Ayo Shirai runs out, climbs to the top, and, without looking behind her, hits a huge moonsault to the floor on Duke, Shafir, and Kai. Seemed a bit much, especially since she didn't even check to see who, if anyone, was there before leaping, but what are you going to do? In the ring, Sane goes for another elbow, but Baszler hooks in on a crucifix pin for the win, which the referee counts despite a shoulder being up at two. Uh, grade, uh, I give this one a B as well. Another great match between these two. They continue to build this horsewoman stable, and I was legitimately getting into the third fall to see who would walk away with the gold. Great stuff. Uh, then an ad break. X-Pac and his retarded dog are at ringside for some reason. Backstage, Champa is I-fucking-Goldie. He has vandalized a wall. Percy then says the word tonight five times while sending us to the promo package for Black and Gargano. I am sure this will be an incredible match, though I am a bit disappointed that it was Johnny that attacked Alistair after all. It was just so direct and straightforward with no twists or turns. I don't know. I think Gargano takes the victory here to solidify this heel turn. Uh, I appreciate the way Johnny is playing it here in the entrance. He's not doing the typical heel, you know, fuck you all, I'm the greatest shtick. He's just kind of slightly amped his attitude that way, but he's still acknowledging the fans that are cheering him, pointing out their signs, high-fiving them, whatnot. Uh, Black enters in a completely fucking badass jacket with fucking fangs or claws sticking out all over it. Very cool. Johnny, by the way, has gone full Punisher tonight with the logo on his jacket and the design on the font on his trunks, which says Johnny Takeover. You'll notice a distinct lack of comments on this match on my part. This is due to the fact that this match is so intense, so fast-paced with these men just going back and forth, going all out, that I don't dare look away from the screen long enough to type anything. In fact, I've typed this entire note without removing my eyes from the screen. But with that said, I must add that the impetus to write this note was provided by an absolutely sick-looking tope into a Tornado DDT by Gargano on the outside. Uh, it takes two black masks to finish off Gargano. I give this one an A. There are no words. Do yourself a favor, even if you've already seen it. Go watch it again. Uh, I don't know what could possibly top this tonight. A WWE 2K19 ad and a PSA for the Red Cross, and we are back. We get the WWE Does Good Things music as Morrow asks us to text to donate to Wildfire Relief. Morrow sends us to the promo package for Champa versus Dream. Gotta go with the champ on this one. Uh, I do love that the only overhead footage the WWE seems to have of the Staples Center was taken at a time when part of the Staples logo wasn't lit, and yet they have never sought to correct this. Dream enters. Tonight he is cosplaying as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. His t-shirt isn't actually the NWO shirt, but instead it says O-V-A, Dream Over. Uh, he even has the weight belt. It's pretty great. He does the Hogan gimmick in the ring, cupping the ear, taunting the crowd, all that. I still can't hear the beginning of Ciampa's theme without thinking it's Taz's theme. Ciampa also has a badass jacket, though much less spiky than Alistair's. This match starts much more physical than the last, as they immediately go to the ground and do some mat wrestling as a show of one-upsmanship. It's the little things that matter when you're character building. So I have to point out a small moment that may have gone unnoticed. Ciampa gains control of Dream's Hollywood headband and taunts him with it, so Dream goes outside and fires back by grabbing Goldie, the NXT Championship, and giving it a small kiss. This, of course, enrages Ciampa, who charges out of the ring to rescue his baby. Dream tosses the title onto the commentator's table and runs back into the ring. Ciampa starts to follow, but notices that the title has slipped off the table and onto the floor, so he stops, 
picks up the title, gives it a small kiss, and places it gently back onto the commentator's table before getting back into the ring. So good. Uh, absolutely crazy spot towards the end where Velveteen vertical suplexes Ciampa over the ropes to the outside, and they both go over to the floor. Uh, we get a great false finish following the referee stopping the count because Ciampa had a handful of tights. I mean, it's a sequence of about 10 falsies in a row, but you know what I mean. Uh, since the suplex spot, Tommaso has been tying, uh, untying and loosening his right boot. This comes into play when he reverses a figure four, and the boot comes loose, which sends Dream out of the ring. Uh, this leads to another false finish following a hanging DDT when Dream, Dream attempts to re-enter the ring. Ciampa assaults Moro and eats a DVD on the bare concrete floor. Uh, Dream hits the Rainmaker diving elbow, but only gets a two. He tries for another with Ciampa on the apron, but Ciampa moves and Dream gets nothing but floor. This proves to be Dream's undoing. Uh, as Ciampa throws him back in the ring, hits the hanging DDT on the metal plating between the two rings, brutal, and then drags Dream into the ring and pins him to retain his title. Uh, another A here, another unsurprisingly entertaining match full of unbelievable spots. These two just absolutely killed it, and possibly parts of themselves uh, in the ring tonight. After the match, Ciampa kisses Dream on the cheek. Aww. We then get a commercial for League of Legends posing as an up-up-down-down contest. Nita Strauss is in the crowd. Is she the one that performed at Evolution? Wikipedia confirms that this is true. Yes. Uh, as usual, Hunter will be on Facebook Live after the show. Then, everything turns red, the sirens begin, and down comes the War Games cage. Again, this is Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, Roderick Strong, and Adam Cole Bebe versus the team of Pete Dunn, Ricochet, and the War Raiders, Rowan Hansen. I have to go Undisputed Era here. The cohesive unit will get the better of the four guys thrown together because they all hate the cohesive unit. We get a video package about the history of war games in NXT, which is just last year's war games. Also, the competitors in this year's match talk about why they'll win this year's match. I don't understand why they do the shark cages on the stage instead of having them wait at opposite corners of opposite rings, like back in WCW. Undisputed Era gets the advantage here thanks to the match last week on NXT. Uh, surprisingly, at least to me, Adam Cole is starting the match for Undisputed Era. I figured he'd go in last or close to last. Uh, War Raiders enter first on the other side, wearing some pretty sweet armor. Pete Dunne enters next, so it looks like Ricochet is going to start things off for this side. The match starts with each man in a ring taunting the other to come to their ring. Ricochet agrees to go to Cole, and I was expecting some kind of leaping maneuver from one ring to the other, but instead we get a slight case of stupid face disorder as he just goes from one ring to the next and Cole attacks him while he's getting in the second ring. Kyle O'Reilly is the next entrant for the Undisputed Era. Cole and O'Reilly hit a beautiful double Ushigoroshi on Ricochet as the clock counts down. Dunn tries to be the next entrant, but Hanson pulls him back and goes in himself. Uh, gotta say I loved the poetry and motion shooting star press by Hanson and Ricochet. Uh, Roddy is up next for Undisputed Era. The War Games match is such a genius idea. And anyone who's booked a War Games match where the faces have the advantage needs to have all of their decisions in life questioned. Roe is in next and the War Raiders do War Raider things. Bobby Fish in last for UE and he attacks Pete Dunne in the other cage and locks him with the lock from his cage. Bobby Fish is a genius. Morrow tells us that the match doesn't officially start until Pete Dunne gets in the ring, so if Dunne can't get out of the cage, they just fight forever? The final clock counts down, and then the referees realize that, oh hey, Bobby Fish threw that key into the crowd, and we don't have a key for the lock on this cage. It's a bit stupid. Uh, those bars are far enough apart, I bet Pete could squeeze through them if he really tried. 
Dunn fights off the Undisputed Era members who try to prevent him from entering the ring, and then, much like last year, the plunder begins to enter the ring. I really hope the cameraman who's standing between the two rings is getting hazard pay tonight. Uh, Genius work by the Undisputed Era. O'Reilly locks Dunn in an ankle lock while Cole, Fish, and Strong fend off the War Raiders and Ricochet, who are all in the other ring. We get a spot where Hanson, who is in a sleeper from Fish, powerbombs Roe and Dunn off of the side of the cage, who are themselves trying to suplex Cole off the top of the cage and are trying to be back-suplexed off the cage by Strong and O'Reilly. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. Go and watch. Uh, My only complaint with this maneuver is that Hanson was powerbombing his partners. Hmm. Uh, This is then immediately followed by a double backflip moonsault by Ricochet. Sweet monkey fucking Christ. Uh, We then get a two-ring standoff and then a schmoz in the space between the rings, which was a pretty cool visual. Adam Cole gets pinned by Ricochet and Pete Dunne to give the win to them and the War Raiders. That surprised me. Uh, Another A here. Uh, Yes, it was a spot fest. It's fucking War Games. But like I said before, War Games is just such a genius idea for a match. The heels get to play up their heelness when they have the advantage. And the faces get to make constant comebacks. It's literally an hour of face in peril. Uh, These eight guys brought absolutely everything to the ring. They did a great job of protecting Dunn and his injury. Hanson and Rowe, especially Hanson, got a chance to shine and show everyone exactly what they bring to the table. And, oh yeah, double backflip moonsault. Overall grade, A-. minus. Once again, NXT steps up to the plate and absolutely crushes it. Gargano and Black went out there and absolutely killed it. And then Dream and Champa went, oh yeah, watch this. I was a bit surprised, uh, as I said earlier, that Johnny lost. But he seems to do that a lot and it hasn't hurt his reputation at all, it seems. I would like to see him with the NXT title one of these days, though. All right, folks, ready to be disappointed? Let's move on to Sunday night and the Survivor Series. Uh, Let's start with the pre-show. If I miss anything, it's because there's no fucking way I'm watching two hours of this shit. Uh, First segment of story here in the back, Alexa is giving a pep talk to the Raw women's team, which breaks down when Ruby makes fun of Natty, so Alexa kicks them both off the team. Not a bag segment, short and sweet, right to the point of getting those two off so that Bailey and Sasha can come in. Spoiler alert for later. Why they couldn't kick Tamina off instead of Ruby, I don't know, but whatever. Lashley and Leo Rush invade panel. Leo sucks Bobby's dick for a while, then Bobby shows us his ass again. It takes Lawler three tries to get a joke out because Leo won't shut the fuck up, and the joke is still terrible. They really have no idea what to do with Bobby Lashley, do they? We go backstage with Charlotte. She is still saying Becky is a former friend and promises to make Ronda bow down to the queen. Pretty standard stuff here. Backstage with Naomi and the SmackDown women's team. She is now the team captain since Charlotte is in the match with Ronda. R-Truth is a moron. The fifth member is Mandy Rose, and she's a bitch. Match time on the kickoff show, the 10-on-10 tag team elimination match. The Usos are the captains of Team SmackDown, so, of course, the New Day introduce all the team members. Makes sense. Given the shittiness of the Raw Tag Division, I think I have to pick SmackDown here. Uh, Enter the Colons. Sorry, Colones, just to remind us all that, yes, they are in fact still employed by WWE. Corey tells us during their entrance that he feels the Ascension are just on the precipice of something great. Oh, like the longest NXT tag title reign in history? No? That's not what you're referring to? By the way, just in case you forget tonight... Everyone will be wearing the shirt and or color of the brand they represent. It's, it will not at all get annoying or visually overwhelming. Cologne's out first when Wilder pins promo following a shatter machine. Kalisto injures his knee during the match, so Grand Metalik hops up on the apron in his place. 
Corey rightfully points out that this is completely against the rules. He is, apparently, the only one who thinks so, as the referee allows it to happen, and Tom argues with Corey about why Corey's wrong. No, Tom. No. B-Team gets eliminated by the club, and it's 8-on-8. Sanity eliminated by Rude and Gable, following a beautiful neckbreaker moonsault combo. The Ascension are eliminated by the New Day, but it's okay, because they're on the precipice of great things. The referee allows Metalik to be a part of the match, but then also holds firm to tag team rules when Metalik tries to tag in Lince Dorado from the top rope in a neutral corner. Dumbass. The club are then eliminated by the Lucha House Party. The Usos then eliminate Lu- Lucha House Party after, let's say, Jay cripples Lince Dorado on a Samoan drop attempt. We are four on four. Revival and Gable and Rude versus the New Day and the Usos. Evidence that this match is a must-win. Scott Dawson hits a fucking suicide dive. On one of the Usos. No flips, just fists. Except Survivor Series, apparently. While I appreciate it for the visual of it, Chad Gable German suplexing Jimmy Uso off the top rope to the outside is one of the dumbest things I have seen in a while. It makes absolutely no sense if you take even the slightest moment to think about it. The New Day eliminate Rude and Gable, and the Revival eliminate the New Day, which I would consider an upset, personally. And the Usos win following a myriad of super kicks and a Superman splash by Jimmy. SmackDown 1, Raw 0. Grade, I give this one a B. A very solid match, very enjoyable to watch, but this match really puts in stark contrast to the absolute shallowness of the tag division in WWE. I know we had the one team left out on Raw, Slater and Rhino. Were there any teams on SmackDown that weren't part of this? The Colognes were in there for fuck's sake, and we haven't seen them on SmackDown Live in months. Backstage, Alexa names Sasha and Bailey, the two new members of Team Raw. Surprise. And with that, we move on to Survivor Series proper. We're not 30 seconds into the show, and Michael Cole has already told us that this is the one night a year that Raw and SmackDown compete in head-to-head competition. Eyes rolling. As mentioned at the end of the kickoff, we open with the women's match. I think I have to go with Raw here, since without Charlotte, the SmackDown team, women's team is underwhelming at best. Now, is that Bob Sparkplug Bailey or Thurman Bailey Plug? Uh, the match immediately breaks down into a brawl. Team Blue better watch their faces. Naomi is eliminated after about a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Thanks, Cap. Tamina gets rolled up immediately thereafter by Carmella, and then... A dance break. Why does no one on the Raw team just slide in the ring and fucking waylay her when the lights are down? Mickey James versus Asuka. I would love to see those two square off in singles competition. Mickey is pinned by Mandy. Bailey pins Carmella, so it's three on three. Sasha, Bailey, and Naya against Mandy, Sonya, and Asuka. Sasha taps Mandy. Sorry, Jason. Bailey and Sonya are then both counted out, leaving Naya, Sasha, and Asuka. Naya has absolutely nuclear heat here and for all the wrong reasons. Naya then, for no reason whatsoever, costs her team a fall by pushing Sasha off the top rope and into the Asuka lock. (sighs) Naya then pins Asuka after a Samoan drop, making her the sole survivor. Grade? C. I had to take points off for the finish. It feels like Naya is being rewarded for legitimately putting Becky on the shelf since it's getting her a reaction, and I just can't support that. Cole then tells us that Raw is one and nothing, and literally says out loud that the kickoff doesn't count. Well, fuck you, tag teams. Corbin and Stephanie are backstage, and as much as I'd like to take points off because Stephanie is on camera, I'll hold off to see what happens here. Corbin guarantees that Raw will stand tall, which is Paige and Shane's cue to appear, which improves this segment. 
Secondary title time as Seth Rollins and his computer-generated ceiling logo take on Shinsuke Nakamura. Given how little Shinsuke has done with the U.S. championship, I'm going to call another victory for Raw here. Oh, hey, that random camera is attached to the middle of the barricade on the hard cam side again. And there's one on the commentator side corner on the other side. What are those for? Honest question. Actually, they look the same as the mystery boxes that have reappeared on, on top of the front turnposts tonight. They appear to have two lenses. Are they 3D cameras or maybe VR? Some quick Google foo indicates that they're likely VR cameras, probably some mobile app of some sort. That super kick from Seth looked so stiff from the hard cam, and then the replay completely fucking ruined it. They like to do that. Uh, I feel like the Kinshasa to the back of the head should have been the finish, but Seth pins Nakamura following a Seth penalty out of nowhere. Grade? Another C. It got exciting at the end with all the false finishes and the finish teases, but this match started off slow and just seemed to be missing something. I wanted this match to be amazing. Seth Rollins versus Shinsuke Nakamura should be a dream match, and I feel like they failed to deliver here. Perhaps it has something to do with the fact that the U.S. title and Shinsuke seem largely forgotten on the blue brand, but this just did not live up to expectations. Backstage, there are tensions on Team Raw, so Braun uses Leo Rush to attack Baron Corbin. Then R-Truth is a moron. Tag champs versus tag champs time. The bar show versus... um, Who were the Raw tag champs again? Oh, yes, AOP. This is a tough call for me. I get that they want AOP to look strong all of a sudden, but the bar has the big show, so I think I have to go with the bar on this one. Shit, how long has it been since the bar was on TV? And Drake Maverick has pissed his pants. Somehow this wins the match for his team. Grade D. Wholly underwhelming with a potty humor finish. This was not good. Backstage, Miz and Shane rally the troops. R-Truth is a moron. Cruiserweight title time. I really don't see Buddy Murphy dropping the belt here. Honestly, I think it's about time the Cruiserweights got to fight on the actual show and not the kickoff, so I'm very happy. Great spot when Buddy shoved Ali off the corner and into the barricade. Just looked brutal as hell. If all the Raw guys are wearing red and all the SmackDown guys are wearing blue, shouldn't the Cruiserweights be wearing purple? Anyway, Buddy retains his title with the Murphy's Law. Grade A. The Cruiserweights continue to show that they can absolutely deliver when given the chance. They're just never given the chance. Great match here. Lars Sullivan is coming, but we don't know where. My guess is SmackDown since, uh, SmackDown, since Raw already has Braun Strowman. Men's tag time. They can't possibly have Raw win every one of the tag matches, can they? SmackDown needs to pick up a win here. Someone in production must have figured out how to make 3D graphics recently and is inserting them in random places during the show, including a completely random Raw graphic before Braun Strowman enters and a SmackDown graphic for Rey Mysterio. Dumb. Tension on Raw immediately as Drew and Braun can't decide who gets to start the match. Joe is then eliminated immediately. The crowd is pissed, and rightly so. Joe deserves so much better. Strowman and Drew continue to bicker, and this causes everything to break down into a schmoz. Shane does what Shane was here to do, put Braun through a commentary table from the top rope. McIntyre then refuses to tag in Balor, so I guess he's just a dick to everyone. The ordinary man who does extraordinary things is still one of the dumbest things they insist on trying to get over. Uh, Ray then eliminates Balor to even the teams at four. Joe and Balor, the first two eliminated, and yet this company doesn't understand why they can't build new stars. Shane eliminates Dolph for the coast-to-coast. Miz keeps tagging in, doing one move and tagging out. This fails miserably the second time as Miz tells Shane to go for another coast-to-coast on Lashley this time, 
and Shane gets swatted out of the air by Braun Strowman. Braun then eliminates uh, Hardy, Ray, and Miz, and Shane is your last man standing from SmackDown, for fuck's sake. Braun then eliminates Shane. Your survivors for Raw are Braun, Drew, and Bobby Lashley, and JoJo calls them sole survivors because she is an idiot. Grade C. Raw spent most of the time infighting, and SmackDown still loses. Fuck you, Blue Brand. Raw's going to sweep, aren't they? Charlie informs Seth that he will defend the title against Dean at TLC. Nice. Uh, Charlotte versus Ronda is next. There's no way Ronda takes the loss here. Ronda Raccoon has to ask the referee what to do with her belt since this isn't a title match. Uh, I get the hot start, but them trying to grapple is not pretty. Ronda somehow manages to go from herself having Charlotte in a triangle hold to being in a Boston Crab. Not sure how she managed that transition. Ronda wins by disqualification when Charlotte hits her with a kendo stick. Charlotte then gets her shirt stuck in her hair. Stiff as hell natural selection on the chair finishes off the beatdown and the crowd is solidly behind Charlotte here. Charlotte then returns to pilmanize Ronda's neck in a chair and leaves. Grade A. The match itself was nothing amazing, but the post-match puts it over the top for me. Charlotte snaps and just destroys Ronda. It's brutality that we don't see a lot of anymore, so it stands out when it happens, especially when it's in the women's division. Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar, SmackDown's last chance to pick up a win tonight. <laughs> yeah. Now, is it me, or did Daniel land right on the side of his head on that first German? And even Lesnar looked bored during that bear hug. Let me get Brock on defense. When's the last time you saw that happen? 2003? Brock wins the match with the second F5. Grade B. They made Daniel Bryan look like a million bucks tonight. I take some points off for the start of the match, which was standard Brock Lesnar pablum and boring as usual, but then things changed. Bryan hit the low blow and it sent everything into just a whole nother gear. Brock wins because of course Brock wins, but hell if they didn't make it look like Bryan had a chance. Overall grade for Survivor Series is a C+. The Cruiserweight title match and the women's match couldn't save the show from the women's tag match and Drake Maverick pissing his pants. There were some hidden gems here. You can search them out. But overall, it's not a show you need to watch. Let's move to Monday Night Raw. Let's see just how badly they will be gloating about sweeping Survivor Series. Oh, hey, we open with Stephanie gloating. They are still ignoring the fact that SmackDown won the kickoff show. Baron thinks he deserves to be permanent GM. Braun is going to remove his head from his shoulders at TLC. Steph says if Baron wins at TLC, he can be permanent GM. If he loses, he's out. So goodbye, Baron, in a month's time. She also says Braun only gets his universal title shot at the Rumble if he beats Baron at TLC. So I can't wait for Braun to lose to Brock again for no goddamn reason. Why is Steph acting like a face in this segment? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Anyway, that leads us into match number one. Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley, and Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman, Elias, and Finn Balor. An impromptu opening contest? Let's go with the good guys. Oh, hey, it's the ordinary man who can do extraordinary things. Stop it. Turns out this is elimination tag, just like last night. Braun tags in Finn and then slams him into Drew. Finn did not know this was going to happen, we're led to believe, and this makes me laugh. Uh, Balor is the first eliminated again. What the fuck? Beautiful elbow drop from Elias almost eliminates Corbin. Elias gets eliminated by countout, also lame. McIntyre eliminates himself by disqualification, and then they just beat the shit out of Braun. So I guess the match is over? Grade C. How to get someone off of TV 101. What, right in an injury to cover a real injury. The non-finish of the match was just kind of meh. 
Seth calls out Dean, who appears on the screen again. People are upset about Dean referencing Roman's leukemia. I don't hate it. Dean says if Seth wants to fight, to come and find him. And Seth leaves to do just that. We then immediately go backstage where Seth beats up a local talent posing as a security guard, dutifully guarding the scissor lift Dean was just standing in front of. This wasn't great. Kind of negates the in-ring bit of this, which was actually decent. Uh, match number two, Team Boss Hugs, no pussy farts, versus the Samoan Twat Team. I don't expect much from this except for the Samoans to go over for no reason. Tonight, both Sasha and Bailey are paying tribute to Thurman's sparky plug. Nia's offense is ugly, as usual. Tamina's offense is ugly, as usual. But they'll get the win over the girls who can actually wrestle, because <laughs> why the fuck not? Also, during her entrance, Corey made a comment about Nia taking out Bailey last night, because the spotlight is only big enough for Nia, and there are so many jokes that can be made. Nia and Tamina win when Nia pins Bailey. Grade C. It's not great, and I don't enjoy this push. Charlie is going to talk to Baron, but Dean hacks the screen and tells Seth to find him where the shield used to hang out, so Seth charges into a stairwell when we come back from break, only to find some vandalism that makes him very angry. We then make fun of Drake Maverick for peeing. This segment was written by a bunch of third graders. I am taking points off the final grade for this. Match 3, Lucha House Party versus The Revival. I can only hope that they allow Lucha House Party to switch members mid-match tonight like they did last night, and I also sincerely hope The Revival win here, but I fear I will be wrong. Before the bell, Mike Rome announces that this match is being held under Lucha House rules, which means it's a handicap match. Lucha House Party are the faces, right? Lince pins Dash. Stupid, stupid match. Grade D. This was, literally, five minutes of the faces ganging up on the heels and making them look like idiots. Hashtag, fuck the revival. I appreciate the WWE using their reach to try and raise money for the wildfire victims, but could they have written each show a different script as opposed to, I want to step away from entertainment for a moment. Shit, Michael, this is Monday Night Raw. You stepped away from entertainment a while ago. Seth is still looking for Dean. Dean walks behind him while he talks to Charlie. Titus then tells him that Dean was just there, and Seth runs back the way he came. It is just as dumb as it sounds. Ronda Rousey enters all smiles and cheers and happiness, despite getting the shit kicked out of her last night. How about you sell something? This promo is a lot better than most of her recent mic work. It's not perfect, but it's not painful, like some of her promos over the last couple of months have been. She issues an open challenge, which is answered by Baron Corbin. Baron? Something you're not telling us? Baron cancels the open challenge. Ronda tells him to go fuck himself, so Baron agrees to find her an opponent. I actually enjoyed this quite a bit. Match 4, Raw Women's Championship, Ronda Rousey versus Mickey James. Same thing I'll say for any Ronda match for the foreseeable future here. No way Ronda loses here. Ronda makes Mickey submit in a surprisingly short match. Grade B. Less offensive than any of the other matches so far tonight, but Ronda's armbar still doesn't actually look like it causes any pain or does any damage. The Samoan Twat team then confront Ronda on the stage. No words are exchanged. Nia just looks at her fist and smiles, and I roll my eyes. Match number five, AOP versus Rude and Gable. This probably isn't a tag title match, but even if it was, I'd pick AOP here. We continue to make fun of Drake Maverick for pissing his pants. Gable pins Akam, I believe, with a sunset flip off the top. I am surprised. It wasn't a title match. No belt change hands. Grade B. Another decent, non-offensive match, save for the PP jokes, and a surprising outcome. Dean is on the back of a fork truck, begging Seth to come find him. Something smells, and it's the WWE Universe. 
Seth has apparently given up because he's leaving. Tonight's lesson, Seth is stupid and kind of a puss. Match six, Natalia versus Ruby Riot. I'm hoping Natty wins and puts a pin in this so we can stop talking about stupid sunglasses. I used to be such a huge fan of Natty's. Now I realize it's because of the women I had to compare her with. When she debuted with the likes of the Bellas and Kelly Kelly, etc., she was awesome. Now that she's facing Becky, Ruby, Charlotte, her flaws are showing. Natalia wins by reversing a schoolboy grade. C. I hope this is the end of this, but a fluke pin isn't promising. Fingers crossed. That reverse sent on off the top by Ruby was brutal, though. We go back to the top of the show and Drew's disqualification ending the elimination tag match despite him not being the last member of his team. Cole very grimly tells us that Braun has a shattered elbow. Dean is walking backstage. He's heading for the ring now that Seth has left. The worst part of this whole Dean thing is that they've made public his and Renee's relationship. Because now Michael Cole just regularly turns to his right and says, You're married to the guy. What's he thinking? And Renee has to come up with some dumb excuse about why she doesn't know. Dean says the people smell again. Seth is back. He runs to the ring, eventually gets low blowed, and Dean yells at him for interrupting. One last dirty deeds, and we are done. Overall grade, C-. minus. Could have been a C+, plus, but they wouldn't stop making pee-pee jokes. All right, Tuesday, let's down some smacks. We're still in Los Angeles? What is this, WrestleMania? Opening with Charlotte. I dig it. The black robe is awesome. Charlotte is proud of the beating she laid on Ronda. This brings out Paige. She's also proud of Charlotte, but has to fine her a hundred grand for attacking five referees. This brings out the Iconics. This leads to a match. Match number one, Charlotte versus Billy Kay. Sadly, it's the Iconics, so Charlotte wins. Natural selection ends the night quickly. Peyton gets some damage in, but not enough to make a difference. Grade B. Did exactly what it was supposed to do. Keep Charlotte hot following the absolute beating after last night. Charlotte then challenges Peyton to a fight. Match two, Charlotte versus Peyton Royce. Surprise, Charlotte takes this one too. I appreciate Charlotte saying she's going to fight this match flair and square. It's a good pun. It's a good pun. Decent match. Billy Kay eventually just comes in and causes the disqualification. Grade B, same as before, just keeping the story going. A headsetted dude in the timekeeper's area refuses to give the Iconics a chair, which I've never seen happen before, and Charlotte uses this time to recover and then beat the crap out of them both at the same time. We then get uncomfortably close to Rey Mysterio. He is standing in front of a middle school picture day backdrop. He faces Randy Orton tonight. Time for Miz TV. His guest is Shane McMahon. Miz shuffles. Shane enjoys it. Miz wants Shane to be his tag partner. Miz challenges Shane's McMahonhood and brings out two jobbers for them to beat up. I didn't make up McMahonhood, he actually said that. Match number three, Miz Man versus the Bryant Brothers. One is Wayne, one is Dane. I don't know which is which, so I will refer to them as the white one and the black one. Miz gets small packaged by the white one after Shane convinces him that he doesn't want to tag in. Grade D for dumb. I'm intrigued by whatever story they're telling with The Miz here, but this was just stupid. Backstage, The New Day are dressed like pilgrims. They run into R-Truth just as the gobbledygooker. The best part of this is that Xavier's chest says 6-1. to one. Match number 4, Thanksgiving Feast Fight. New Day versus Bar Show. No matter which way you slice it, see what I did there? This is going to be terrible. New Day win. Kofi says, we were the one in six and one, except that the Usos were the sole survivors. The highlight so far is Corey telling Tom, I wish the Pilgrims had left you some blankets. I always enjoy when Xavier Woods gets to wrestle. It doesn't seem to happen that often. Xavier hits a neat, I'm going to call it victory roll face buster on Cesaro. I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, Yada, yada. People get put through tables full of food. Big E pins Sheamus for the victory grade. C. Typical holiday gimmick match. No real point, but to make heels look like fools. 
Cesaro gets every food item still standing smashed into his face as Tom Phillip laughs fakely. Randy Orton destroys a Rey Mysterio mask you can probably purchase on WWEshop.com. Match number five, Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville versus Asuka and Naomi. Sonya and Mandy get the jobber entrance and commentary says you have to wonder if this is a friendship worth saving. So I'm going to take Naomi and Asuka here. Ass-based offense takes us to the first commercial break. Asuka taps Sonya with the Asuka lock. Grade B. Solidly inoffensive, more teasing of a breakup in the former absolution. My biggest takeaway was that the teams were standing in the wrong corners. We get a recap of Orton versus Ray since Blood Money. Enter Daniel Bryan when we come back. He'll face AJ for the title in a ladder match at TLC. Bryan blames the fans for his heel turn, calling it the ultimate betrayal since they cheered him when he came back, but without having any idea of the suffering he went through while he was on the shelf. All right. Match number six, Rey Mysterio versus Randy Orton. How are we already at the main event? SmackDown goes really fast. Mysterio is wearing his underpants on the outside of his trunks. RKO out of nowhere on the sliding splash uh, out of the ring by Mysterio. Very nice. Another RKO in the ring, and Orton pins Mysterio. Grade B. A little shorter than I was expecting, but that first RKO was cool as hell, and that's me saying that. One of the small stories in the match was Orton trying to remove uh, Mysterio's mask. In this attempt, he ended up tearing it a little bit, which caused it to almost come off during the second RKO, and then completely come off during the post-match beatdown, where Randy sticks a chair around Ray's neck and shoves him into the ring post. Randy holds the mask aloft as we go to off the air. If this wasn't planned, it was a fantastic ad-lib by Randy at the end there to grab the mask and, and celebrate with it. Overall grade for SmackDown, C+. Fuck holiday-themed gimmick matches, and fuck having The Miz lose to a jobber. That was kind of stupid. On to Wednesday and our weekly double shot of WWE, starting with 205 Live, a video recap of Survivor Series, and we open with the champ. Buddy's got new graphics and a new t-shirt. Match number one, Tony Nese versus Noam Dar. I don't think Noam is set to be the next contender, but I'd still like to see him get a victory here. Uh, Noam has a selfie promo telling us that he's been making a name for himself in 205 Live and NXT UK, and he's ready to take 205 to the next level. Buddy remains at ringside here with his best friend Tony Nese to talk trash at Dar and yell at Vic Joseph. There's something humorous about Dar locking in the guillotine but not being able to lock his ankles around Nese's waist, so he's just kind of waggling his feet behind Nese. Uh, Buddy provides enough of a distraction to allow Nice to take advantage and get the pinfall. Grade B. Great match. Once again, the pairing of Nice and Murphy proves too much for the opponent. Mustafa Ali then admits to mental issues. He thanks Buddy for this. Drake talks to a referee, and then Cedric. Thankfully, there is no talk of urine. Match number two, Akira Tozawa and Bri- the Brian Kendrick versus two unnamed jobbers. Perhaps they'll surprise me like on SmackDown, but I doubt it. Backstage, Drew Gulak names the team of himself and Jack Gallagher the Submission Commission. All right, all right. The jobbers are kicking out of things, and that's annoying. Senton from Tozawa finishes off jobber number B, grade C. I don't know why these guys needed to face local talent, and I don't know why the match lasted as long as it did. This just didn't click for me. Match number three, Grand Metalik versus TJP. I think Metalik gets the win here to get some revenge for all of the scalping TJP has done. TJP comes out with the Canelises. He and Mike are wearing masks that TJP stole over the past few weeks. That was a nice touch. Uh, This causes a brawl to almost break out, so Drake Maverick sends everyone who isn't in the match to the back. Uh, A beautiful crossbody over the ropes to the outside by TJP at one point. TJP threatens to beat Metalik with a piñata, which leads to a roll-up finish, and Maria... Screaming? This is just a ploy to allow Mike to sneak in from behind and waylay Lucha House Party with a chair. Grade B. One of the less intense 205 main events in recent memory, but that's not a bad thing. 
pretty decent story here. Metalik trying to give TJP his comeuppance, but ultimately failing thanks to Mike Kanellis. Uh, overall grade, a solid B-. 205 is one of those shows where they know they have to take the opportunities they're given in order to have a chance to shine, so they rarely disappoint. All right, last show of the week, and it is NXT. We are from Staples Center this week, unsurprisingly. Match number one, Keith Lee versus Fidel Bravo, who just happens to be one of the jobbers who just lost to Tozawa and Kendrick on 205 Live. Keith Lee takes the win here, obviously. Uh, Lee wins with a Death Valley Power Slam, basically. Grade B, standard squash fare. We then recap the two out of three falls match from TakeOver. We then recap Riddle and Ono, all of it. Match two, Lars Sullivan versus Keto Murray, according to Morrow. Really? Two jobber matches in a row? Lars wins in about a minute. Grade C. Same as the last match, but shorter. What is this? An episode of Superstars from 1989? Lars demands a title shot despite having apparently been called up to the main roster. Keith Lee makes the save for the jobber. We recap Gargano versus Black. We recap Dream versus Ciampa. We recap War Games. And then it's match number three, Nikki Cross versus Candice LeRae. Nikki Cross might be my favorite thing in NXT right now. LeRae almost completely misses a springboard crossbody off the apron. Two weeks ago, Candice was dressed in all black. Black makeup, black everything. And tonight, she's dressed like Emma. It's kind of a weird juxtaposition there. Candice snaps and locks in the Gargano escape, but Nikki makes it the ropes and hits the hangman's twisting neckbreaker for the pin. Grade A. I really enjoyed this. They're telling us the same kind of story with Candice that they are with Johnny, that they have this dark side, but that it can cost them in the long run. And I appreciate that. I do feel like I need to take points off this episode for being both so heavy on recap video and having two squash matches out of the three matches that were on the show. Uh, I know I know that they're going to do recap after a takeover, but this just seemed like overkill. And then, like I said, having a, having two squash matches in a row just it was I don't know. Overall grade B minus. I wouldn't have minded a two match episode if both matches were competitive. Overall grade for the week, B-. minus. Takeover wins the week, unsurprisingly, and Raw is your big loser, dragging the whole week's score down. Next week, we've got the Standard Fair plus the Starcade Special that's on tonight here on Sunday, so I will be back next weekend with another edition of Making the Grade. Tell me what you thought, uh, rundownwrestling at gmail.com, or email me at nitromaniapod uh, at gmail.com, or nitromaniapod on Twitter. Uh, and just let me know what you think of the new show. And I will talk to you guys next week. So long.